This is the On The Banks podcast. Follow us on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. Now, here's your host, Lance Glenn. Hello, everyone. I am, of course, your host, Lance Glenn, and this is episode 13 of the On The Banks podcast, our week four Rutgers football preview. If you don't already, you can follow me on Twitter at Lance underscore G11, and you can follow On The Banks on Twitter as well at OTB underscore SB Nation. If you want to listen to any of our previous episodes, you can find them on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher by searching On The Banks Podcast. You can find them on SoundCloud by searching OTB underscore SB Nation. And of course, you can find them by going to onthebanks.com. Fall sports are underway. For all the coverage of Rutgers football, field hockey, men's and women's soccer, and more, make sure to go to onthebanks.com. I'll be joined by NJ.com's James Cratch and the voice of Buffalo Bulls football, Paul Peck, in a little bit. But first, I want to talk about last week's game and what it means for the rest of the season. Without a doubt, last week's loss was really one of the worst I can remember. You know, when you think of bad losses, of course, 78 nothing to Michigan come to your mind. I was actually on the call for that game for WRSU back when I was a student. You know, I was there as a fan when Rutgers lost to Louisville in 2012. Of course, you remember the two, uh, the triple overtime game to West Virginia in 2006. And, you know, there's so many others you can think of. But look, those games are, are ultimately in the past. And all Rutgers fans can do really is put this Kansas game in the past as well. There's nothing gained from letting this loss stick with you as a fan. You don't gain nothing. You can't go back into the past and change it. You just kind of got to move on. Ultimately, the coaching staff, the players, and as I said before, the fans, we have to move on. No progress will be made otherwise if we let this loss fester. Yes, of course, we all had bowl expectations this year. And while, look, it's still possible we're only getting to game four now, put bowl expectations out of your mind. Forget about bowl games. This team needs to just focus on improving each and every game. Developing young players, they need to find chemistry. Most importantly, this team needs to find an identity. I feel like that's kind of been the one thing missing here. This team doesn't have an identity. If the identity is defense, then the defense needs to play better. They need to tackle better, and they need to stop the run. If the identity is ground and pound, then they need to make that the focal point of the offense right out of the gate. Raheem Blackshear, Jonathan Hillman, Isaiah Pacheco, if that's what they want their identity to be, they need to make sure that that's how they start their offense. Forget about a bowl game. If a bowl is meant to be, so be it. Then it's meant to be. If not, oh well. You know, we as Rutgers fans have been through a lot worse than not making a bowl potentially this season. But we always seem to stick by our school regardless of the ups and downs that it's faced. The team needs to use these games and they need to find chemistry in it. Figure out this season what Rutgers football is. Because I think ultimately that's what's been lacking the most. We don't know what Rutgers football is. What is this team's identity? They need to take the nine games that are are left in this season, and they need to figure it out. Now, let's talk to the reporters. Here's your host, Lance Glenn. The Scarlet Knights are coming off a tough loss to the Kansas Jayhawks, dropping them to 1-2 and on the season. To talk about that game and preview this Saturday's game against Buffalo, I'm now pleased to be joined by Rutgers reporter for NJ.com, James Cratch. James, glad to have you back on the on the On the Banks podcast. Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, my pleasure, Lance. Great to be back. And I got to say, tough loss. That, that's a generous statement. <laughs> I mean, Scarlet Knights at this point. So, look, you know, I was a student here four years, and 
one of the first things I thought of when I was watching the game and, and after the loss, you know, it made me think back to the 78 nothing game to Michigan uh, during my junior year here as a student. But honestly, and I want to hear your opinion on it, I think this loss is probably worse because you look back at that one, no expectations. It was Chris Ash's first year. Obviously, Michigan, one of their first couple of years with Harbaugh, so there was a lot of expectations, obviously, with that. I think this loss is probably worse than that 78 nothing one, even though the score was a lot worse then. Oh, definitely, because that was Michigan's Big Ten team, Harbaugh, Kansas is horrible, and I think that's the big issue here. Now, look, if Rutgers had lost to Kansas on Saturday by a field goal or a touchdown or something, I think people would be very upset, but I don't think the outcry would be as bad because, look, Kansas, they brought in a bunch of junior college players. They've landed some good recruits. You saw Puka Williams, the running back, I think is have a, their crown jewel in recruiting in recent years. They're they're better than they have been, and I think people would have been able to wrap their head around a close loss on the road, given how young this Rutgers team is. But to lose by 41 points at Kansas is just inexplicable, inexcusable. I think you're 100% right. This is way worse than the loss to Michigan. When you lost to Michigan 78 nothing, it really stung Rutgers fans and, and the, the program. But there was still some hope about better days are ahead. I think this loss crushed a lot of optimism fans have, and they're starting to think this is not going to get better in this current situation. So let's start with the head man, right, Chris Ash. You know, going into the year, I thought at least, if Rutgers were to win four or five games and miss a bowl, people would be disappointed, but I don't think there would be talk of him on the hot seat. You know, still year three. But now, although the team still has nine games left, the loss to Kansas has kind of begun that hot seat conversation. Do you think all that talk about, you know, potentially making a move is warranted? And do you really think that, you know, going forward, if the season is a 1-11 or 2-10 year, that Chris Ash is on the hot seat and a change could be imminent? Well, I think it's a very complex situation. So the biggest thing you have to remember is he's, after this year, he's got four years left on the deal, $9.8 million. Rutgers is not in a great financial spot right now as they kind of wait to get their full share of Big Ten money. And even when you get that full share of Big Ten money, you know, a lot of it's already been spent, whether it's facilities they need or backloading Steve Peichel's contract. So just because the, the check is coming soon doesn't mean that you're going to have every penny of the check to utilize. That being said, I, I think you're right. I think, and look, there's still nine games left, and I still think this team has the ability you know, they could go out and beat Buffalo on Saturday and then the kind of the world starts sitting on its axis again. I still think that if they win three or four games or five, obviously I don't think this is a bowl team, that they're fine. They just, it's disappointing, but they just kind of chug ahead in 2019. I don't want to come out and say, like, I'm a big, firm, I'm a firm believer that you can't say, well, if the coach goes this record, he's going to get fired. Because you don't really know how the season unfolds you know, it's the context of a record that I think is, plays a big deal. Like, where does this program stand? What does it feel like? What's the temperature in the room, the atmosphere, when you get to that point? That being said, if this team loses out or they only win one more game, I think you create an a, a situation, an atmosphere, where anything could really happen. I think it depends on which way the wind's blowing when you get to the end of November. So I think it's a little premature to say he's on the hot seat. But I understand why fans want to say that because 
They've won seven games in his two-plus seasons here, and he just lost by 41 points to Kansas. I mean, if you don't want to have Hoskins talk, you don't lose by 41 points to Kansas. And I, I think what isn't helping it is, you know, you look at – that same year that he was hired or that same offseason, Syracuse also hired Dino uh, Dino Babers, and he's having great success. Just be Florida State. Now, granted, not the same Florida State team as years past, but this is a Syracuse team that could very well be ranked. So I think when you're comparing Ash to other coaches that were hired around the same time, obviously the success is there with them, and it's not necessarily here at Rutgers. No, and I think that's a, that's a very key kind of theme storyline that people are going to have to monitor. You've got Syracuse that's having a little surge. Uh, you've got a very good Boston College team that might be undefeated going into Clemson in a couple of weeks and what will be a nationally you know, spotlighted game. You have Temple, which obviously started 0-2, but they just hammered Maryland. You have Maryland, which got off to a good start. All the other, you know, granted, they have a ton of uncertainty with the D.J. Durkin situation. I think they're the least of the concern. But if Rutgers is having a terrible season and Boston College – is in the national spotlight. Syracuse gets ranked, and and Temple and Maryland. I mean, if these programs start to build a little bit more momentum and they start to have some recruiting victories in New Jersey, I think that the atmosphere gets even worse for Rutgers, and there's going to be a sense that you know the program is under siege again. So let's look at the specific units, right? The offense first dealt with turnovers inability to get the big play. You know, Art is obviously getting a lot of the blame for it, but how much of it really is on him? You know, yes, he needs to cut down on the interceptions, but his weapons really with Blackshear and Hillman fumbling and the receivers not really getting open, they're not helping him much either. No, I, I think he has to play better, and you know, that he's making some you know, freshman mistakes that are, are quite poor, but the playmakers haven't been there. And that's partly on recruiting, and I think it's partly on the guys who people were expecting to have big seasons and kind of step up in the roles they haven't. You know, the offensive line has been very hit or miss. I think the big issue that Rutgers is facing now, and I think fans have to think through, is that they made a decision to start from, you know, day one. And you can debate that decision, whether it was the right one or the wrong one. But it's not really about what's right three weeks ago. It's about what's right here in the moment. And I think at this point, given what decisions they've made in the past, they have to stick with him because this team's not going to a bowl. I don't care if Geo starts on Saturday against Buffalo, and I don't think he will, and plays the rest of the year. This is not a bowl team. And at some point, you need to accept that and realize that you're better off playing art, going through all these bad growing pains and developing him and looking toward the future rather than running an offense that you're, I mean, that's another thing I think people have to consider. If you go back to Geo, you've got to rework this offense to fit his skill set. And I just don't see what the point is of having such a young offense play with a quarterback and a scheme they're not going to run beyond the end of the season with him. And then at the end of the year, you haven't developed art and you haven't really developed it the other young players behind him that he's going to play with going forward. So now looking at the defense, you know, Jay Neiman has been here just as long as Chris Ash has. Are you surprised at, I guess, the defense's at times inability to tackle, right? You know, it seems like over and over again, Kansas was was able to break off big runs because of, you know, two missed tackles or three missed tackles. You know, with Ash being a defensive guy as well, along with Neiman, 
does that surprise you that that's still you know such a big issue now in year three? Yeah, I think tackling is a major issue. But honestly, it was that really poor tackling on the 59-yard touchdown run in the first half against Kansas. Other than that, when Jayhawks had a big run, they just the Rutgers didn't touch the guy. So I mean, that's even more of a concern. I will say this about Jay Neiman. He's taking a lot of heat from the fans. This is Chris Ash's defense. I understand that Jay Neiman is the best coordinator, but I've always been of the firm belief that when you have a head coach who specializes in one side of the ball, you really can't fall unless he's a complete hands-off CEO type, which is all, I every indication and everything I understand. That's not really what Chris Ash is. You can't really fault that coordinator. I, I think you know he's an easy scapegoat, but I don't think Rutgers' defense is not tackling or they're struggling because of Jay Neiman. I think it's because the players aren't executing. And, you know, depth is a concern. And I think it's also fast as, okay, you know, as we as this tenure progresses, we get more and more away from the, the flood, you know, Shiano-era player. And on this defense, you know, the depth isn't there. And part of that's just injuries. Part of that's due to the credit card situation. And part of it's maybe because they just haven't brought in enough talent that they need. Now, I asked your colleague Steve Politi this last week when I had him on, you know, at that point, I was asking him how important the Kansas game was just to kind of right the ship after the, the tough loss to Ohio State. I'll ask you kind of the same this week, but just how important is this Kansas, is this, excuse me, Buffalo game to bounce back not only for this year, really, but for the entire perception of the program overall to kind of bounce back? I, I think it's critical. I, I think that if Rutgers loses to Buffalo on Saturday and be honest, I think they will. It kind of opens the Pandora's box of you know the it's going to get very bad. I mean, the fan base is already kind of on edge as of now, and understandably so. I just think that if they lose the Buffalo, it, it just it goes over a cliff, and, and it's going to get you know very ugly. You know, you're going to see people not coming to the game. You know, those that do are going to boo. I you know the message boards are going to be on fire. You know, I think the heat's going to be on Ash even more. It just gets to a really kind of shaky, you know, unhappy situation. And I think that when those things happen in college sports, no matter what the financials look like, you know, what the logic says, what the common sense is, you know, as emotions get high, sometimes rash decisions get made or things that you didn't think were possible a couple weeks ago uh, suddenly become on the table. So uh, it's a big moment for them, I think. I think Steve wrote last week that the Kansas game was his biggest game, and Ash's biggest game as Rutgers coach. Obviously, they lost it. I think now this is the biggest one. They have to get a win to stop the bleeding, or else I think it's going to get really, really ugly around here. I want to look back at the defense. Uh, you know, a lot was made in the offseason, obviously, about uh, now that he's eligible, eligible, Trey Avery. We haven't seen him yet. What are you hearing about the prognosis of him? You know, when do when do you reasonably expect he could be back, especially now that it's likely that Blesswan Austin is going to be out for the year? Uh, when do you kind of envision seeing Trey Avery? And kind of how do you see that secondary working out now that Bless, it's almost all but confirmed that he's going to be out for the season? Yeah, I mean, I think Rutgers believes they're going to have Trey Avery back this week. I mean, it's kind of amazing. You know, I had someone, you know, kind of tied to the program mentioned this to me that there is such a kind of an anticipation and an optimism for a guy who, while, you know, he was a 
well-regarded player coming out of high school and obviously has a relationship with Chris Ash, and Chris Ash and the coaching staff have talked him up. We've never really seen the guy play. You know, I mean, we've seen bits and pieces of him in practice, but he redshirted last year. He hasn't played in the first three games, and it just seems like it's a little bit of a leap of faith to pin hopes on a guy who has never played in a college football game to kind of fix this secondary. That being said, I, I kind of go back to the old NFL philosophy where you, you probably keep Avery Young and, and, you know, maybe Jarrett Paul, that platoon on the outside corners, and you use Avery as slot cornerback, which is what he kind of was when everyone was healthy with him and Bless and Wharton, just because that way you're weakening one position instead of two going forward. Uh, but I, I think I think Rutgers fans have to kind of remind themselves, we haven't seen Trey Avery ever play in a Scarlet Knight uniform, so don't expect him to be the savior that they need. I think he's going to make that secondary better, but I don't know how much better. So now looking at this game as a whole, look, this is a when you saw this schedule a couple of years ago, you think, all right, that's a Mac team, right? Buffalo, you know, obviously not as low as a Division Two team or Division One AA team, but a team that Rutgers should still beat. But then you fast forward to this season, this Buffalo team, you know, 3-0, and they got a lot of playmakers, Tyree Jackson at quarterback, you know, Anthony Johnson at wide receiver. This is a team that I think one could very well later in the season break into the top 25. So I'm going to kind of put you on the spot with everything Buffalo has and everything that's been going around uh, the Rutgers program and with the Scarlet Knights. Do you think the Scarlet Knights will ultimately bounce back and kind of pull off what is a pseudo upset? Who do you think is going to ultimately leave Piscataway on Saturday with a victory? No, I, I think this Buffalo team is not only they, they have too much talent, Lance, and they do too many things well that I think hurt Rutgers. Uh, excellent quarterback, you mentioned Tyree Jackson, big receivers, Anthony Johnson's an All-America candidate. That's something that Rutgers is obviously struggling with because of their secondary. Uh, Rutgers' pass rush has struggled mightily. Buffalo hasn't allowed a sack all season. Buffalo forces turnovers. Rutgers has the worst tur- turnover differential in America. You know, that's, I think, the issue. It's not so much that Buffalo's Buffalo's a very good football team, but they're good in areas that Rutgers is not good in. I think it'll be a close game. I don't think Buffalo is going to ever come in here and necessarily blow them out. But uh, my prediction, Buffalo 27, Rutgers 19. So Buffalo covers. I think, I'm not sure. I haven't checked the line yesterday. But obviously it was at 6 yesterday. Buffalo covers. Rutgers falls to 1-3. And, three. and uh Buckle up at that point, fans. It's going to get wilder. <laughs> well, you can follow him on Twitter at James Cratch. It, it's certainly been a wild season so far, and if your prediction comes true, like you said, you know, buckle up because the season's about to get a lot crazier if, if uh, the outcome that you predict, Buffalo beating Rutgers, happens. James, thanks so much for coming on, and uh, again, uh, you know, hopefully for Scarlet Knight fans, the outcome is better than it was last Saturday. Thanks again for coming on and giving us your time here on the On the Banks podcast. Anytime, Lance. Thank you. They're 3-0 on the season, coming off a 35-28 win over Eastern Michigan. To talk more about Buffalo, I'm now pleased to be joined by the voice of Bulls football, Paul Peck. Paul, thanks so much for coming on the On the Banks podcast. My pleasure, Lance. Uh, always good to, uh, to do this, and uh, I've got some ties to New Jersey, so it's uh, going to be fun for me to come back, and it's always good to talk to the great football fans of the Garden State. 
So let's talk about the man leading this program, Lance Leopold. You know, he took over in 2015, and through the years, the team has really progressed to ultimately what they are this season, undefeated with some impressive wins and a chance to, you know, once again become bowl eligible. How have you seen him and this program as a whole improve from his first year to now? Well, I think before I tell you about Lance, Leopold Lance, uh, I feel like I have to explain that... You know, this program at the University of Buffalo has been a Division A FBS football program for less than two years, 20 years. So, you know, in the early 90s, they were a Division Three program. They transitioned to what was then Division I AA, and then in 1999 went full-time into the MAC. So it's a very young program, certainly compared to a program like Rutgers that has been around for, you know, well over 100 years. So, you know, so there have been a lot of the growing pains that come along with being a program that, you know, it's trying to find itself. And there have been some moments of, uh, of excitement. 2008, the, the, the Bulls had a magical run and wound up winning the MAC championship. 2013, when Khalil Mack was a senior, uh, they make a nice run and go to a bowl game. But, but you know, it, it's been a program that was still trying to find itself, and, and that's in winning and in facilities and in tradition. So when Lance Leipold gets hired, he knew he had some work to do as it related to sort of getting this program to where he felt like it needed to be to be successful. And what you need to know about Lance Leipold is he won six national championships at Division Three. Um, you know, uh, 109 and 6 was his overall record at Wisconsin Whitewater. So he was the preeminent coach in Division Three. And when he got hired, we all said, well, this guy knows how to win. He clearly knows how to run a program. Can he do it at Division One? And, and where the first two years were part of, the growth process here in Buffalo was sort of getting everybody around here to believe, getting the program, the facilities, the players to, you know, to believe that they could achieve heights that hadn't really been achieved much around here. Um, you know, and that's sort of molded the first two years of Lance Leipold's regime. And then you started to see the fruits of the labor last year when the Bulls were really competitive, uh, you know, 6-6, six and six, never lost a game by more than 10 points started to have some players that emerged as, wow, these are uh, you know top-flight guys that we don't normally get around here. Uh, and I think that's all sort of coming to play now in this year. And I can't help but think that, you know, there are some parallels to what Chris Ash is trying to do at Rutgers, which is, you know, um, there, there needed to be some rebuilding there. And, you know, he needed to get people to be convinced that things needed to be done differently. Now, the difference between what's going on at Rutgers and here in Buffalo, is there's a lot more pressure at Rutgers. You guys are in the Big Ten. Uh, you know, here in Buffalo, there's, you know, we're a pro sports town where not a ton of people are focused on college football. So, you know, the Bulls could kind of live under the radar a little bit as they try to rebuild. You know, you, you mentioned last year's team and how it kind of really all started to come together. They finished 6-6, six and six, but they weren't invited to a bowl game. Do you think that this team is kind of playing with a chip on its shoulder, feeling a little disrespected because, look, they were snubbed from the Bulls last season? No doubt. Absolutely no doubt. Um, the players have talked about that and continue to talk about how they felt like they were disrespected. Uh, you know, and, and, and again, I get that. That's players, how players think. And, you know, it had more to do with the circumstances of there being more bowl-eligible teams than there were bowls. Uh, you know, the Mid-American Conference as a northern-based conference. Uh, you know, the Bulls down south would rather take a Conference USA or a Sunbelt team at 6-6 six and six than a MAC team at 6-6 six and because six they could draw more fans. So, uh, it, you know, I get it. But ultimately for the players, it was disrespectful 
to not be able to go, and they have used that as motivation. But I think beyond that, I think the players learned last year that they could compete. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, literally there were two or three plays had they gone a different way that the Bulls were an eight-win team, maybe even a nine-win team last year, and you're not, we're not talking about not going to a bowl. Um, but, again, all part of the inevitable growth of a program where they have to kind of learn how to win. You have to learn how to make those two or three plays in order to win games, and I think we're seeing that happen this year. This team, you know, everything they've built off of last year, now this season, this team is coming off a big win over East Michigan. They've beaten Temple. They beat Delaware State as well. Just talk about how confident this team is. Do you see this year potentially being one of those, I guess, special seasons where, you know, Buffalo maybe is one of those non-Power 5 programs that enters and makes noise potentially in the top 25? I think I think a lot of us that are around the program, Lance, have been a, are a little afraid to go there just because we understand the history of this program. It seems too intense two years ago. But I'm starting to believe more and more that this is lining up as a very special season. And, and I can take you to two years ago when Western Michigan under P.J. Fleck went undefeated in the regular season, and that included two wins over two Big Ten teams. Everything fell in place for them. They go undefeated, they win the Mid-American Conference Championship, they go to the Cotton Bowl where they lose to Wisconsin. Uh, they wind up having a, a kid, wide receiver Corey Davis, drafted fifth overall the next year. Everything fell in place. It was all perfectly set up for Western Michigan. Their schedule, their seniors, their players, everything. I'm starting to feel like the parallels may be there for this Buffalo team. You have incredible high-level players. Um, you have players that this program has never had before. Um, you have legitimate NFL-quality players. Um, they have a schedule that has played into it. I mean, there's no top 25 teams. There's no Ohio State. There's no Wisconsin. There's no Georgia on the schedule. Um, you know, and already, you know, a, a, a very good, difficult win at Temple, uh, pushed by a very good conference rival in Eastern Michigan. Um, you know, just seeing what the guys are doing and their ability to make plays that there are that maybe not a lot of other players can make is starting to make some people around here believe that this could be one of those incredibly special years. Let's talk about some of the players now on this Buffalo squad. You know, Tyree Jackson leads the team at quarterback. I looked at his stats, and the big thing I noticed was that he doesn't turn the ball over. You know, 12 touchdowns, only one pick. Besides that, what else does he do that makes him so productive? Why is he such a special player? Well, start with six foot seven, two 245 pounds. I mean, that's, that's kind of where it all starts. I mean, even when he was a true freshman and he didn't play uh, during his redshirt year and you watched him in practice, you're like, oh, look at that kid. You know, I mean, he, he just he stands out. And I also know that that's what makes NFL people notice. So you knew that he had this incredible amount of talent. It was going to be whether he could, you know, develop the talent. And he, he's made that progression from starting eight games as a redshirt freshman to starting eight games last year when he got hurt um, to now being in a position where, you know, I just read another story this morning, uh, an NFL draft, you know, quarterback stock watch, who's up, who's down. And there he is. He's right in that list. And you talk to NFL people, and even though he's a junior, uh, they, they rave, they're raving about him um, because of the things that he's done. He doesn't turn the ball over. He's only thrown two interceptions in his last eight games. He doesn't get sacked. He has not been sacked yet this year. One of only three quarterbacks in the country that haven't been sacked in their first three games. Um, his completion percentage has gone from the high 50s to 65% this year. Um, he moves the ball around. If you want to take out the All-American wide receiver, Anthony Johnson, 
fine. I'll go find my other guy, and that's what he did on Saturday when number two receiver K.J. Osborne had 188 yards and three scores. So he, he just, you know, he looks the part. Uh, he was invited to the Manning Passing Academy, um, which is an incredible high honor for a college quarterback this year. Uh, he's already started working out with Jordan Palmer, who's one of the quarterback gurus who worked with Sam Darnold and, and Josh Allen this year. I mean, he, he has taken his game to the next level. The Bulls have a very, very good quarterbacks coach who has Tyree has credited a lot with helping him develop those parts of his game. So back to your question from before, you know, why is this shaping up as a special season? Because the Bulls have a really special quarterback, and we know in college football you have a really special quarterback, a lot of things can happen. And you mentioned uh, just now two of his weapons, Anthony Johnson and K.J. Osborne. You know, they lead the team through the air. They're both at least six feet tall. What kind of matchup problems do they create? Is it their speed? Is it that size that they have? You know, what makes them so difficult to cover? It's a good combination of all of them, Lance. You know, Anthony Johnson, 6'2", 210, and he's got good speed. He's got great body control, good hands. I mean, you know, just he, he's built like an NFL receiver. He breaks tackles. He, he runs good routes. Um, you know, he, he's the real deal, and he's a guy that a lot of people think of the chance to be a first-round pick. But as teams have focused on taking him out, what K.J. Osborne has been able to do with his speed and, and a very savvy, smart player uh, is take advantage of the single coverages that he's getting. And now you're presenting defenses with a challenge of, wait, well, who do we cover? Um, you know, which guy do we focus on? And, and somebody's going to get some single coverage somewhere, and when you have a good quarterback like Tyree Jackson who can find that, that's what makes the passing offense very dangerous. So let's talk about the defense now. And I just want your take on kind of what makes this unit go. You know, who do they lean on to kind of captain and lead the defense? Is it Khalil Hodge? Is it, you know, maybe Charles Harris? Who's kind of the leader of the defense that really makes all things gel? Well, I'll give you one guy at each level. It starts with Khalil Hodge. He's, uh, you know, he was second in the country in tackles last year. Uh, he's a leader. He's a smart player. He's, you know, middle linebacker sort of controls everything, but he also has the ability to make big plays, sacks and interceptions and things like that. So it all starts with him. Uh, he's 20, 24 tackles in his last two games. Chuck Harris has really emerged at the end of last year to this year as a real dominant defensive end. Two and a half sacks in the game on Saturday, three and a half on the year. Uh, he's a kind of a tall, long, lean, athletic defensive end, outside linebacker kind of guy. Um, but he is starting to make dominant plays on a regular basis. And then you have a cornerback in Cam Lewis, who's a, essentially a four-year starter, a senior, not real big, but really smart and savvy and one of the better tackling cornerbacks I've seen at this program in a long time. Those three guys are sort of the heart and soul of this defense. And, you know, I think there's a little bit of a thinking that, you know, the defense is – lag behind the offense a little bit, but if your offense is going to score 35 points a game, you don't need your defense to shut people out. So if the, you know, the defense is forcing a lot of turnovers this year, eight, three games, that's exactly what you want them to do. You know, Make a couple of stops, force some turnovers. Uh, if you can hold people to 21 points, that's probably good enough to get your team a win. So looking at this Saturday's game, and I, I took a look at the schedule overall. It's the only, it's the Bulls' only game this year against a, fow, a Power Five program. And look, while Rutgers obviously hasn't had the greatest success, do you sense because Buffalo is coming to a Big Ten school, an opportunity for a big statement win? Do you think there's a little extra excitement and maybe a little extra confidence with the team having an ability to really put their name on the map against the Big Ten program? Well, 
I don't think there's any doubt. I think any time a Mid-American Conference school plays a Big Ten school, there's always a little bit of, hey, I wasn't recruited by these guys. I didn't, they didn't think I was good enough. Uh, you know, I mean, I want to prove myself. Uh, you know, and then you sort of add in the fact that, you know, the Bulls are off to this kind of a start. Uh, and, and really, this will be a game that if people start noticing nationally are going to look back at, you know, regardless of Rutgers' record, they're still a Big Ten program. Show the world how good they are uh, because they know the world is going to notice this game. They know the Temple game, this game, and the next week against Army are the games that people are going to want to look at to figure out, hey, how good is this team? So it's a really interesting test. Anytime a MAC program plays a Big Ten program, plays up like that, um, there's there's always part of you that wants to say how do they match up, but you know the Mac has had some success and and uh, this will be the, the a chance for the third straight week where a Mac program beats a Big Ten program after wins over Purdue and Northwestern. So I think there's a little bit of conference pride in all of this too. All right, Paul. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Last question: How do you see this game on Saturday going, and, and who do you ultimately think comes away victorious? Well, I mean, I like how the Bulls are playing right now, you know, and I think what makes this really interesting is obviously the Scarlet Knights are down. It was a, a very difficult game on Saturday. You guys know that. Um, it's been a difficult season, you know, and, and this just isn't a typical MAC program, that, and that's what's different. I mean, this is a MAC program that has five legitimate NFL draftable players on it, and, you know, and that, that I think is where this goes to a different level. Um, for uh, you know a Buffalo team, uh, you know th- th- this isn't you know this isn't just go in and 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 hang for a half and and be happy to come out of there with a with a loss. Uh, you know, I mean, I think the way Rutgers is playing, uh, the way Sitkowski is struggling, like a lot of freshman quarterbacks struggle. Um, you know, there's an opportunity and a good one for the Bulls to come out of here with a win. Um, you know, I I, I don't you know I don't want to flat out tell you I think they're a better team, but they're pretty close. Uh, Rutgers has some high-level players. We know that, and that's where Rutgers is going to have to have those guys play at the high Big Ten level that they're at. Um, but UB's got a lot of high-level players, too, maybe more, maybe better. Um, and that, I think, gives Buffalo a really good chance to win. Um, I think this is a very good opportunity for Buffalo to come in with a, with a victory. I really do. You can follow him on Twitter at Peck on Sports. The voice of the Buffalo Bulls, Paul Peck. Paul, thanks so much for joining me. Um, enjoy your trip back home to New Jersey. And uh, again, thanks so much for giving us some of your time here on the On the Banks podcast. Always a pleasure. Been to look forward to see all the great fans in New Jersey this weekend. Time to make some bets. Here's your host, Lance Glynn. Sports betting is legal in the country and is already up and running in New Jersey, among other states. To talk about this week's lines and to give his pick on the Rutgers-Buffalo game, I'm now pleased to be joined by Poker Pro and On the Banks contributor TJ Yurkevich. TJ, thanks so much for coming on again this week. No problem, Lance. So, before the season, the line this week would have surprised me because, you know, you think Rutgers, Big Ten team going up against the MAC team, you immediately think Rutgers would obviously be a home favorite against the non-Power 5 team. But they opened, I believe, three-point underdogs, and I think I've even seen the line move now to five or even six at some places. What did you think when you saw the line open, and how have you seen it move over the past couple of days? Yeah, I definitely thought that Rutgers would be a home underdog. I thought it would be around two or two and a half, uh, so three wasn't that surprising. And then, you know, I, I figured that a lot of people would, a lot of smart money would be jumping on Buffalo early, hence the rise up to about five or six. I see I see anywhere from five to six in a bunch of places right now. 
just kind of talk about why they are the favorite. You know, it's surprising when you see a non-Power 5 team on the road a favorite, but, you know, Buffalo's undefeated. They have some talent. What specifically, you know, about them makes them, you know, what people are putting their money on? Yeah, uh, like you said, they're 3-0. and They look really impressive doing it. They're averaging almost 40 points a game. Uh, the, the offense is led by Tyree Jackson. He's completing 65% of his passes. He has 12 touchdowns, just one interception through three games. I'm seeing him in a bunch of NFL mock drafts, leaving school early, and he's going in the first round. He's throwing it to uh, a senior wide receiver, Anthony Johnson, who I've also seen going in the first round of some mock drafts. He's a potential All-American. He's having a, a quiet year so far, 207 yards and two touchdowns. But uh, opposite of him, uh, wide receiver K.J. Osborne, he's racking up monster stats, uh, drawing single coverage. Uh, he's got 16 catches for 300 yards and five touchdowns through three games, and we know the Rutgers secondary uh, is kind of depleted right now, and they gave up a lot of yards uh last week to Kansas, and uh, also, Buffalo's offensive line has not allowed a sack yet in the entire season, so Rutgers is going to have a very difficult time uh, getting getting to uh, Jackson here. And then Buffalo, they're plus six in turnover margin, which is one of the best in the country, and Rutgers, I believe, is the worst in the FBS with a negative nine turnover margin, so it's going to be a long Saturday. So, TJ, you're 1-1 one one on the year. You know, you picked Ohio State week two, got that. You went Rutgers week two, uh, week three. And obviously, you know, I don't think anyone really saw coming what ended up happening to the Scarlet Knights. But for this week, now week four, where would you put your money? Uh, I'm all over Buffalo in this one. Anything up to minus five and a half. Uh, we'll, we'll use that for our uh, official line. But, yeah, I just I just see two programs going in the complete opposite direction. The body language I saw from the coaches and the players on the sideline in the second half of the Rutgers game, and it's just not looking good. And Buffalo's looking to – I think Buffalo's going to be ranked at some point this season, and they're going to go for a, a MAC championship. So, TJ, 1-1 one one on the air, picking Buffalo, trying to go 2-1 and one on the young season. TJ, thanks so much for coming on. Look forward to doing it again next week, and Rutgers takes on the Indiana Hoosiers. Thanks so much for coming on. No problem, Lance. Follow SB Nation on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation, and you can find out when our next podcast is debuting.